Welcome to the Anthropology and Business Podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We'll discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. I'm Matt Arts. I'm here today with Casper Tang Van Killer, Associate Professor and Head of Studies at the Department of Anthropology at the University of Copenhagen, also the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Business Anthropology, which recently moved back to Copenhagen. Previously co-editor of the edited volume, Design Anthropological Futures. So, Casper, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind by telling everybody how you got interested in anthropology? Yes, certainly. And thank you, Matt, for inviting me on this show. Uh, I'm honored. Um, I think this is a great way to uh, to disseminate anthropology in business or business anthropology to uh, to a broad audience. So, I don't really know if my story is uh, exciting, I guess, for as for many other anthropologists, it's it's a number of coincidences that brought me into the field. Um, I'm born and raised in Denmark, and uh, when I graduated uh, from high school back in 1996, um, I went to France for half a year, just in order to get away from Denmark and to uh, learn a new uh, language. And after having been in Paris, uh, being a waiter at a restaurant, uh, I moved to the south of France, and, um, and I went to a language school. And uh, not surprisingly, there were many different nationalities present in that uh, language school. And um, some of the teaching in that language school was mainly about that each of us should tell about ourselves in French, of course, uh, and about uh, the the country that we come from, the the. the upbringing that we have had and and so on and our interest and how basically how how life was in in that particular place where we were born and raised and um, in one of the classes there were some someone from Japan telling about Japan and I just found it extremely interesting not really just about Japan but just that it was so different um, so when I came back to Denmark I talked to my sister. Um, and my sister had, she had uh, had a BA uh, from a business school in Denmark, but then she moved into uh, psychology uh, in, at the University of Copenhagen. And she just said, "Well, if if that was so interesting, why don't you study anthropology?" And I thought, "Well, maybe I should." I looked it up. Uh, didn't really know what anthropology was about, uh, and it probably said at that time it, it would probably have said something about different cultures, exotic people, whatever terms that was used at that time. Uh, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. Um, so that 
that's at least one part of the story. Another part is, which is perhaps a bit more exciting, and, and I've been thinking about it uh, a few times since, was that I think I stumbled across some you know, magazine or book about what can I be or what can I study magazine. And uh, there was a very brief section on if you are interested in fashion, maybe you should look into anthropology. And um, and, and that is, was actually quite strange and it was quite strange now that I think about it because when, when I then uh, started studying anthropology, no one talked about anthropology and fashion. But I looked into it and uh, it, it, it turned out that um, that there was, an, I think, American-born anthropologist who is now in, in, uh, in, in Britain. He had published a book a few years uh, earlier called uh, Street Style, From Sidewalk to Catwalk. And uh, somehow that book had, must have had some public attention because that was the, was the reason why this magazine made this connection between anthropology and fashion. Um, and I think I was, you know, I was young, 19, 20 years, years old. And together with my friends, I think we liked clothes, clothes, uh, style, uh, fashion. And I thought, mm-hmm. if you can do that with anthropology, why not? Um, so I started studying anthropology. And the sort of irony is that, as I said, no one at the time, at least in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Copenhagen, spoke about anthropology and fashion or spoke about you know, anthropology and consumption or what have you, or economic anthropology was perhaps a small part of it. Um, but somehow it it uh, it stayed with me, that particular thing that you could actually perhaps use anthropology also to study fashion and to study uh, businesses. Um, so I guess that was two important coincidences. And then, um, as I said, I think we were introduced when I was studying to material culture studies and also consumption studies a bit, um, mainly perhaps the work of uh, Daniel Miller, and uh, which which gained popularity of in, in particular in the 90s, uh, but also Arjun uh, Paradise, The Social Life of Things, was very much read at that time. Um, and I, I I just found it really interesting to to, to look into people's relations with material objects, with things, uh, and, and how, why we consume the stuff that we consume. So that was actually what I did my uh, master's uh, thesis on. Um, yeah, and then then um, then when I had done my master's thesis, I, I thought that I would like to do a PhD. Um, and I thought, well, now that I have studied, uh, you know, consumption and, and, and consumption practices, uh, mainly around the questions of why is it that we consume the things that we do. Then I thought, hmm, maybe you could also do a study on why is it that we produce the things that we produce, or why is it that, that organizations create the things that consumers finally, con- in the end, uh, consume. Um, and that made me, or that led me to my PhD work, which was then based on, on fieldwork in a, in a fashion house. So in that sense, there was some kind of, it's not at all any sort of a linear development, but, but, but it started somehow with anthropology and fashion in this strange magazine on, on what can I be, what can I study? And then somehow 
many years later, I actually ended up doing exactly that. Great story and uh, circuitous like many. So, you know, along the way, you obviously have this very business thread that sort of pulls through really from undergrad through your, your PhD. How was that perceived in the program at the time? I know you said maybe there was a little economic anthropology, but otherwise that wasn't really present. So were you kind of like, you know, were you out and on an island doing your own thing or was that a, you know, was that adopted? Um, good question. And um, it was definitely not mainstream. Let me put it like that. Um, and uh, when I first wanted, when I actually began my PhD study, I didn't use the term creativity. It ended up, the title of my PhD thesis was something like uh, an anthropology of creativity in fashion. Um, but it, when I began that study, I talked about innovation instead. And when, when, when I mentioned that to colleagues uh, at the department, um, which was at a time where not many were actually using the term innovation, I think we are back in, in 2006, um, at least in Denmark, uh, that was not a very, you know, common word, common term to be used. Uh, but but when I introduced that, I so I have certainly had colleagues who looked sort of strange at me, and um, and that's even though that we that there were two other anthropologists in Denmark, one female, Candice Salomon, and one male, Jakob Krause Jensen. Uh, and Jakob also was a co-editor of the Journal of Business Anthropology at some point, uh, who have already done fieldwork within the area of business. Um, but that were probably also the only two that uh, that had done this before me. Um, so it was perceived as new, and it was also perceived uh, probably uh, yeah marginal in the in the discipline. Um, and I think that sort of, um, in a sense, it, it just motivated me to do my work as good as I could possibly do it. Because what I was really, at that time, I was really driven by, by an ambition to show the world of anthropologists, mainly in Denmark, um, that you can do good sort of ordinary anthropology, classic anthropology, within the world of business. That was sort of my main mission. And and um, I've also told this to, to many of our students that um, at that time, I had no sort of ambition at that time with having, wanting my anthropology to, to do an impact on the business world. That was actually not, if I have to be honest, that was not my purpose at that time. I wanted to con convince my fellow anthropologists that this was a real field of anthropology and a proper field of anthropology and one that should be respected just as much as any other field that or any other theme that uh, anthropologists have studied. So that was mainly, and that, I guess if you you should read my work, I guess some of it can also be seen in the way that I approach it. I, I, I'm very fond of using classic anthropological notions like totemism, animism, some of the very earliest concepts in anthropology on their practices while, I mean, using those concepts to try to understand what's going on in a business organization. And that's probably, it, it was probably when I think on it now, I, it, it was probably a way for me to sort of justify or show 
show to myself also that that this is this is uh, also anthropology. And I guess uh, I had a my supervisor, Professor Kirsten Hastrup, who had done fieldwork in Iceland and in Greenland, and not at all in the world of business, but a very I would say very respected uh, anthropologist in Denmark and also internationally. Actually, um, he was still so so supportive and encouraging, and also was the belief that you can do anthropology anywhere in the world. I mean, where people come together, they create their own social norms, social rules, their own cultural understandings, perspectives on the world, and you can study that with an anthropological approach and and um, yeah, do anthropology about that group of people. Um, so, uh, so that was extremely encouraging also to pursue this ambition of showing, showing you know that anthropology can also be done in in a business organization. And I think we have to remember that this is not 20 years ago, but it's it's 15 years ago now. And I think that much has definitely happened since. Related to the changes that have occurred, you know, you went on and you co-edited the, you know, Design Anthropological Futures volume, which certainly is about change, right, and and taking a stake in, in enacting change. So tell me, like, a little bit about, you know, what you've seen change, you know, in that, in the, say, the last 15 years, as you kind of indicated. Let me start as... Starting different place, perhaps because it turned out that then, then when I started actually thinking about or doing this PhD, and I started, you know, searching for literature, um, I realized that there were actually a term like business anthropology and or organizational anthropology, and there were actually a fairly long history within that particular field, going back to the 1930s. And the wholesome studies and 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 all that. So there is actually a quite long history of business anthropology, but it has been sort of silenced in in various periods of the history of anthropology. And also, it was just a history or types of studies that you were not introduced to those studies as a student in the University of Copenhagen, at least. Um, so it was quite funny to find out that what I thought was really, you know, unique, it was not that unique because other other anthropologists from other parts of the world had actually moved into into the business uh, world and into industry, uh, like Lucy Sutchman and and uh, and Marietta Barber and and others, Brian Lorraine, also the founder of the Journal of Business Anthropology, who had studied uh, a Japanese advertising agency in the 90s. Um, but then what has happened, um, I think what has happened is that from my um, PhD work, as I said, that was mainly an attempt to study a field of business through an anthropological lens. And uh, the other Danish colleagues that I mentioned, especially Jakob Krause-Jensen, his attempt was also to you know, study a, a business organization with anthropological methods and theories. Um, but since then, I would say that um, that there has been an attempt to also say, okay, but how can anthropology then actually contribute to particular organizations? And there have emerged a very, both in the US, I would say, but also uh, definitely also in Denmark, a, a group of uh, anthropologists 
professional anthropologists, you might call them, who are working actively in, in various organizations around the world and who are doing doing impact uh, every day through their anthropological work. And and the research has sort of moved in that direction also to say how can how can we actually uh, also both study but at the same time also change certain aspects of uh, organizations or business or what have we and and um, and I became interested in that particular focus after I have turned in my my PhD work uh, because then I thought well now I have now I've done that uh, so 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 I became, in, became interested in you know uh, what is the value of anthropology when you do it in practice in a business organization and then then I think the connection between design and anthropology has done something extremely both thought-provoking and valuable and it was design anthropology became the kind of became the field for me at least where I found that um, that here you could find some actually sophisticated ideas and perspectives on how to bridge that gap between research on the one hand and application on the other or or analysis on the one hand and intervention on the other. I mean, those two aspects have conventionally sort of been kept apart, that you do research and then you apply. But when you look into the design anthropology literature and and, and the, the collaboration between designers and anthropologists, and for some at least, it's, it's an attempt to do Perhaps not just interdisciplinarity, but as a transdisciplinarity that you try to, to actually develop a new type of discipline. I'm not sure that I agree with, with that, but but for some that's what they try to do by merging design and anthropology into one one field. Um, for me at least, that field had some very interesting perspectives on how to do that and some creative ideas of bringing design and anthropology together uh, and not only as two groups of people who now have to collaborate but actually you designerly ways of thinking brought together with anthropological ways of thinking or working were this group of design anthropologists or anthropologists some designers who came together in 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 Denmark I was lucky to be one of them together with Joachim Halse, Rachel Smith, Medikarsko, and others, Tron Otto, Thomas Bindler, and we created a research network for design anthropology in order to explore this particular way of integrating design and anthropology. And for me, I think what I what has been really valuable is, is that it has some, I would say, sophisticated attempts at studying and changing the world at the same time. So uh, not being afraid of intervening in the things that you also study, or not being afraid of actually contributing with your knowledge in order to change things. Um, and not only as was probably conventional in anthropology was kind of that you you should not interfere with, with the field that you try to understand, which is a bit ironic since we know that, that that's not possible. Uh, we all, all always uh, intervene in the field. So design anthropology is, in a sense, I would say, uh, it's a field that takes that particular thing seriously, but then moves moves it 
uh, a few steps forward. You know, in discussing that, you're almost talking about breaking down some barriers. And I know another barrier that you're interested in maybe breaking down or at least changing a bit is this, you know, separation between academic anthropology and applied anthropology. So would you maybe share your perspective on that? Yes, um, and that's a, a complex uh, question. Um, and it's, it's also probably, it's at least, at least also perhaps my personal view on that separation. I think many of us uh, know the discussions that were going on 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, where you sort of separated academic anthropology and applied anthropology and somehow also the one being more pure and the other impure, which is a distinction which I definitely don't like. I, I think it doesn't make sense. Um, and, and that is a distinction that uh, at least in our department that we have been trying to, 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 to sort of dissolve. And one of the things that I don't really like about it is also that it, that it tends to create two groups of people, those who think inside university and who do the real anthropology and those outside who are employed, who are employed in, in various organizations and who may do some kind of anthropology but not the right one and they are just doing it and, and we inside the university are thinking and it, 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 it creates, I think, uh, an unfortunate distinction um, and it's uh, and and I clearly there is a difference or at least the condition for doing anthropology are different if you are inside um, a department of anthropology or if you are inside a business organization different um, periods of time that, that you have for doing field work different conditions for analyzing your data and so on. So, so, so I'm not ignoring that there are many uh, different conditions. I just don't like that the one is called academic while the other is called applied um, because, because research inside uh, universities are also applied or they can have implications for people outside universities. Hopefully it helps. Why else should we have a university if it doesn't somehow bring knowledge into the world to make a difference. And on the other hand, people who are working in organizations outside universities, they are also thinking about their data, analyzing it. So should that be somehow less academic than, than, than the anthropology that is done inside universities, just because it, it, it's outside? I, I mean, I don't like that, that distinction. I guess the real difference for me is mainly that Anthropological research is peer-reviewed. So it has to go through peer-reviewed, it has to go through very strict and uh, standards, and it has, has to live up to a number of criteria in order for it to be accepted as anthropological research. While you can do anthropological work outside universities, which doesn't have to go through a peer-review process, but that doesn't make it, in my view, less valuable or less relevant, it, it, it's just another way of, of doing your anthropology. So, um, so, so I like to think that, 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 that we try to break down that distinction, or at least that we challenge it in order, and, and, and the way that we do it in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Copenhagen is that we increasingly 
invite people inside our classrooms and inside the universities in order to discuss with them, in order for them to come, for instance, with, with a problem, a case, which the students are then supposed to, to look into, to explore, to solve, if you will. And we increasingly try also to go the other way around, that we bring our students into organizations through internships that can also be fieldwork, but, uh, but also internships where they, they experience uh, what is it actually to, to, uh, to work like an anthropologist. So while there may be some sense in which it makes sense to hold on to that distinction in, in, in certain ways, I think that it, it, it has value that we try to, to uh, challenge it and that we try to break it down so it doesn't, uh, doesn't become too much us in here and those outside. Yeah, aside from you know, what you're doing at Copenhagen from, you know, from the uh, sort of academic perspective, not to use that term to, to imply the distinction, but you're also editor-in-chief of the JBA, and that's also an opportunity to bring those who are sort of actively out, you know, working in business, sort of almost back into the academy. So seeing as that's just come, come back to, uh, to its original home at Copenhagen, and now that you're leading that again, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, future directions, what you're trying to do with that, um, how maybe you're, you're looking to innovate, you know, with the JBA? Yes, certainly. And, um, First of all, we are extremely honored that that we got the chance to um, to uh, take 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 on this uh, editorship of of the Journal of Business Anthropology, which, as you say, was uh, was started by Brian Rain and Christina Garsten here in Copenhagen, uh, and then after I think four or five years, it moved to to the U.S. Uh, and Greg Urban has has done a remarkable job in in editing the journal, and I think. When I think about it, uh, now that we are in charge of it or we are leading it, um, I don't think that we actually are trying to, to do many new things. Because when I think about it, I, I think Brian and Christina have the same ambition when they started the journey. They wanted it to be, be, of course, you could say a research journal or a journal where you can publish your, your research and, 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 and publish standard research articles. But they also wanted it to be a, that's at least how I understood it at the time, that they wanted it to be, be a, a forum for anyone interested in business anthropology to discuss, to, to exchange ideas. And therefore, uh, they have also had different types of, um, of publication format and uh, in order for in order to bring in um, other contributors than just uh, researchers. And and uh, we are we very much would like to continue that tradition. And uh, what has has happened perhaps is that that uh, there are more more possibilities now than ten years ago for for doing that through different types of media. So, for instance, we have in in the first issue in which we have been in charge, we have published what we call a video article, which is. Uh, an, and an article where which includes a small brief video, and the authors ref, show the video, but also uh, reflect on 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 why they have done that video in that particular way, and and the kind of purposes that it has served within the particular organization uh, that they have worked with. 
Um, and that type, those types of contributions, we would very much encourage anyone to get in touch with us uh, if they have an idea for for a way to publish some of their work in a format which is not the standard research article. It can also be a written essay that that will not go through a peer review, but but then should be published anyway because it has a message that is important for someone uh, out there. So we hope to have a range of different formats in which you can publish in the Journal of Business Anthropology in order to make that journal more yeah, a forum for people to uh, to reflect on their anthropology. And anthropology probably understood in a very broad sense. So we don't think only of anthropologists, but also you know organizational scholars who who use ethnography and so on. So so create that forum where 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 people have have the chance of exchanging ideas and views on, on business anthropology. Bringing back to, to Copenhagen again, so you run the Reanimate project. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yes, definitely. Um, this is, um, I, I was almost about to say a new project. It's not a new project. We have been doing it for one and a half year now. Um, but we are slightly ending the fieldwork phase in the project. So it is perhaps a good example of of my, as I said earlier, my my fondness of of using classic anthropological notions uh, on new new uh, fields within economy, within business, uh, within organization. So this project um, starts from uh, the assumption that uh, the world, in many ways, is in crisis. The most obvious crisis is the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis but also in crisis in terms of uh, stressed out bodies, stressed out minds, um, social inequalities are growing, and many other uh, crises. And um, there is, to some extent at least, a fairly broad agreement that the current economic system that we have, uh, the type of capitalism where profit and growth is, and economic growth is, is sort of the only parameter that that counts. Uh, that kind of economic system has made some good things in the world, definitely, um, but it has also brought a number of crises to the world. The climate crisis is probably the most most pressing one right now. Um, and so, so uh, what we saw it was actually during Corona. I started. Uh, I had some time to to actually just read and to to google and so on um, so so I started reading some books who um, who who came who has come up with some I found them at that time to be quite radical ideas about how to do business how to do economy in different ways and what those types of books argue is that you have to focus first and foremost on life. So put life, human and non-human life, at the center stage. And, and then you start from that in order when you lead your organization or you create your, your products or what have you. You have to think first and foremost about uh, human and non-human life and how your leadership, how your uh, your business contributes to that purpose, because that's that's why 
we and other species are here in the world. Um, so, so, uh, so, so that sort of this turn to life, in a sense, was what I really sort of observed in uh, in, in these different books. So, so those books um, come up with different vision or or new vision for how to do economy in a different way. Uh, that's books like the first I read was uh, a book by. Um, Laura Storm and Giles Hudson, who has uh, written a book called Regenerative Leadership. Uh, another book is uh, perhaps a bit more famous, but it's the one by the economist Kate Rayworth, who has written about uh, donut economics. Um, both of these books are examples of books who who, um, who promote a, a different view, a different perspective, a different vision for, for the economic system or for leadership, uh, for instance. And then, then in the project, we then ask a fairly basic, I would say, anthropological question. So when, when we have that type of, of vision, then what happens when you try to implement it or when you try to realize it in practice? So what happens when your ideal vision sort of um, has to be enacted in everyday life? So that is kind of the, the very basic uh, research question, and 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 then we have uh, four different sub projects in which we we uh, zoom in on on on, on that uh, question. So we have my own project, which is about uh, regenerative leadership in organizations. So we have a project by a PhD student, uh, Lina Westergaard, who is studying donut economics in the municipality of Amsterdam, because the municipality of Amsterdam was the first. Sort of organization city uh, in the world, which sort of said that they 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 wanted to apply the donut economic principles. Then we have our postdoc Christina Yane, who is studying uh, how small villages in uh, in in the rural parts of uh, Italy are trying to sort of revitalize themselves because. So you have you see groups of people who are moving out of the big cities and go to the to the small villages and in in order to try to find a new way of life, uh, a new way of working, uh, a new way of sort of finding finding peace. I mean, one of the things that he has observed already is that people talk about breathing. So they 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 can breathe in another way when they are uh, not in 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 the urban centers. Um, and then we have my good colleague, Associate Professor Simon Lech, who is studying um, who, is, who is studying many things actually. But one of the projects is uh, is on on the turn to more sustainable energy, uh, both through uh, solar panels, but also through uh, through the wind. Um, so those are four different projects that in various ways touch upon this turn to life, this attempt to, to create new ways of doing economy with a focus on, on, uh, on regenerating uh, human and non-human uh, life. And that leads me to why it's called reanimate, because to, to, to bring life back, so to speak, is what we term reanimate. And that brought me to think about when I read these books that it just reminded me so much of the term animism in anthropology, because one definition of animism, at least, is the perception that everything is in life, that everything 
So as a spirit, in a sense that, or at least in some of the classic studies of animism, that is, you can have a mountain or you can have uh, some kind of animal that also has a spirit. But but under, but it it sort of denotes a particular way of being in the world because it's a different way of being in the world if you believe that everything around you is in is in life, so to speak, or is living beings. Then you then you act and you perceive the world in a different way when you, as we are accustomed to, think about that I'm here, you are there, and uh, and 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 the glass that I have here that's just a dead object with no spirit. It's not uh, not an object that that is in life. So this particular way of being, we thought, and it's just a hypothesis. We just asked in this uh, research application, could it be that it's a sort of animistic way of being in the world that is somehow moving into these different visions that we see for a new way of doing economy. And you could say that what would happen actually if we had a, a more animistic being in the world where we were more aware of the fact that how we are interconnected with other beings, other ways of life, non-human, plants, so on. What if we perceive them differently? Would we then also go about, you know, the climate crisis in different way? So that's sort of we don't know if that's at all the case. It's a hypothesis, uh, but it is a way of, of, you know, trying to use the um, the classic anthropological notions to think about uh, new new tendencies, uh, modern tendencies in in a different way. Um, so that's basically the pro- the the project right now. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that, and I'll be curious um, to see how all of that turns out, and uh, especially if anybody at any point. I know you have the four tracks, but if anybody looks at how that might even apply to machines in this new world of where you know machines use human language and have human like qualities, so uh, could be an interesting place to explore. But um, so, Casper, thanks for sharing all that very exciting work. Uh, where could people find you? Uh, people can find me. Uh... Like I think they can find almost anyone uh, on LinkedIn. Um, please reach out, uh, and uh, they can also find me, of course, on the University of Copenhagen website. Uh, we also have a very small uh, page on our website uh, on the Reanimate uh, project where you can read more. And uh, do feel free to uh, to reach out to us, and especially through the Journal of Business and Quality platform, also of course. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. To learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me, where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.